Jake and Ben, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake, Scott, Ben Anderson live from the warehouse, 1825 South, 300 West. Come see us. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. It is a football Friday, so let's talk some Utes and Cougs. We'll start with Cougs. Let's get out to the Smart Rain special guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. He covers BYU for kslsports.com. He's Mitch Harper with us here on Jake and Ben. What's going on, Mitch? What's going on, Mitch? Hey, not much, guys. Happy to be on with you today. Awesome. We're, we're excited to have you. Are you, uh, are you dressed up for Halloween guy, Mitch? Are you, are you costumed right now? Not, not costume right now. I'm not like uh, Tom Homo busting out the, the Rafiki costume, but uh, I used to be Halloween guy when my wife and I first met, but, uh, now I, now I don't do the costume much at all. I, I just let the kids do the costume. He's graduated to old dad as opposed to uh, yeah, young, early relationship. I understand that Mitch. Hey, who's, more motivated for the game this weekend? Do you think it's Bronco Mendenhall or do you think it's BYU in general? 100% it's Bronco Mendenhall. No, no doubt about it. I think that Bronco Mendenhall wants this game badly. I mean, the emotions have been clearly visible in all the media interactions that he's had this week. And I, I get the sense, too, like when he left BYU, you know, he didn't get all the resources maybe that he was wanting. And you look at BYU now, and, and Kalani's still not getting the resources enough compared to what he should be getting it compared to his power five peers, but uh, it's still far more, I think, than what Bronco was getting. And I think there's the sense like, hey, he wants to come back and, and make a statement and win with his football team. This could be a really good win for Virginia. I think there's more motivation on Virginia's end, and, and, and I think they want this one badly. What is Bronco's legacy at BYU? Ben and I kind of tried to do a letter, the letter grade thing yesterday, but what, what do you think about Bronco and his tenure there and how we'll remember it? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is that Bronco established uh, consistency. He won some – he had some great seasons. I mean, that, that stretch from 2006 to 2009 uh, was arguably the, the best next to those, those great years under Lavelle in the 80s. That was, those are some good football teams. But I think the, the biggest legacy for Bronco was that uh, his players loved him, but there was always kind of like an arm's-length distance with the fans, I think. And there was just a little bit – of a, of a disconnect uh, with the fan base. And I don't think it was always necessarily by design or intentional from Bronco, but uh, I just don't think he, he resonated and clicked with maybe BYU traditions and BYU lore the same way maybe Kalani Satake, who's, who's really immersed himself with the fan base and BYU traditions. But Bronco won a ton of games and brought consistency. He just couldn't get over that, that hump, if you will, where he could put together that 11, 12 win season as an independent where Kalani has always been viewed to have the higher ceiling and higher potential than Bronco. He's already done that last year, weaker schedule, I know, but still the ceiling is higher with Kalani. Bronco just really, he could build, but he never could get over that hump. Mitch, looking at Virginia on the field, they've won four in a row. They crushed Duke two weeks ago, 48-0. to But their other three wins over Miami, Louisville, and Georgia Tech are by a combined 11 points. Two of them are by a combined three points. Uh, do we buy them as a kind of 6-2 and two team? They're obviously going bowling, but are, are they a good team, or, or is that a little bit of fool's gold? I think it's a little bit of fool's gold, honestly. I think that, you know, there's two games where they've been – They've benefited from some, you know, field goal misses, and this could easily be a, a you know, four and four, three and five team rolling into Provo 
I, I mean, their passing attack definitely is going to be is elite, and they're going to put up some big yardage. This is going to be the best passing attack BYU maybe has faced in about two years since they last faced USC, and that was kind of the early days of Keaton Slovis and that air raid attack. This is, this is going to be a, a difficult task for BYU, and I think that their secondary, when you're playing guys that are walk-ons last week against Washington State, it worked out okay uh, you know, with all the adversity that Washington State was dealing with. But I think that's a little bit of a question mark. BYU played a lot of nickel base package last week. I'm curious to see. I've, I got I to gotta imagine that's going to be the calling card again, but they've got two walk-ons that are playing in that secondary. I just think that might be... Uh, uh, angle where Virginia is going to attack that and BYU better rise to the occasion because Virginia is going to put up some big passing yards. I think that BYU also offensively, though, can keep up. I think that, you know, BYU's just been uh, in some games this year where they haven't had the volume, the, the amount of plays necessary to, to put up those huge numbers. I think this BYU offense is, is pretty good. They just haven't been consistent. They've had some head scratching drives or some decisions last week against Wazoo where. It felt like Aaron Roderick wasn't being aggressive like he typically is. I think this week they're going to get back to that aggressive play calling, and I think they're going to put up some big numbers, and I think this is going to be a shootout game, guys. So, Mitch, diagnose something for me, because BYU has been really weird in their wins and losses this year. and their wins, they're just smashing teams physically. I mean, Coach Witt said after the BYU-Utah game, he said, uh, uh, I would have bet my house they weren't going to dominate us in the trenches, and that's exactly what they did. And then you throw in Tyler Algier, who's out there to, uh, to uh, you know create nightmares for defenses, and BYU was winning games. They had a formula for it. But in their losses... I mean, that was just gone. It was, like a, it was like a totally different team against Boise State from a physical standpoint. I mean, running all those things, and you can say the same thing about Baylor. What's, what's the expon- explanation for that, that, that it's, it, the pendulum swings so far one way or the other? I think the, the easy answer would be, Jake, to, to say the injuries would be an angle to, to point to. But I think also that maybe BYU, uh, personnel-wise, defensively, I don't feel like they have enough maybe Big 12-ready guys on the defensive side yet. I still like the, the personnel, uh, you know, compared to what it's been, you know, when Kalani first took over. I think he's improved the depth, and that's why despite all the injuries, they're still 6-2 and two and in a good spot to potentially win 10 games. But I feel like there's just still the top-end talent on BYU's roster to me is still not good enough. And I think in a one-game setting like Utah, uh, they kind of rose the occasion expectations were low from everyone thought Utah was going to win that game. And I think BYU just completely surprised everyone. Uh, the following week against Arizona State, Arizona State kind of pulled what BYU did against Boise and shot themselves in the foot. I mean, that really, I didn't come away from that game thinking BYU was the better team that day. So I think that BYU just still doesn't have enough, uh, you know, power five, big 12 talent guys on that defense, and I think that's why you've kind of seen this mixed bag of results. Offensively, I think you got them. At quarterback, running back, wide receiver, the tight end, a few of the offensive linemen, the offense has got the personnel. Defense, though, that's where I think you're seeing uh, these mixed results because they just don't have enough top-end talent. Mitch, as we looked at BYU, they've kind of had this, you know, I guess unique experience as an independent where – you know they're never playing a non-conference game, but you look at some of these other teams like Virginia, who's been embroiled in conference play already, and then they have to come across the country and play a non-conference game. That's not going to change anything that happens at the end of their season, outside of maybe the opportunity to get ranked, depending on how they finish. But 
you know, how have teams that you've noticed kind of approach these weird non-conference games? We've seen it with Utah playing BYU late in the season. It seems like Kyle Whittingham really didn't like that. But this also kind of has some of that ra- rivalry flair to it that a BYU and a Utah game would. So how have teams kind of traditionally handled this now as we're getting out of independence for BYU? Yeah, it, it's usually a, a big dud, honestly, for, for these Power 5 teams. They just they, they lack energy, and there, there's not much excitement stepping out of league to play a program like BYU. I mean, folks like us, we, we know living in this market, the success and the pageantry of BYU football and, and the history behind it. But for people that just don't know this part of the country or BYU, like, why are we playing this game in the middle of October? That's why the Baylor game, too, was unique, how BYU goes into that game in the middle of the season, Baylor steps out of league, and that was a hyped-up crowd because there was future conference implications. And it was... There was a lot of juice in the building that you just don't typically see when BYU plays these teams midway or late in the season. I think with this one, though, Bronco is always good about telling a story to his guys. That's one of the things that I remember from his days at BYU is he kind of gives the story, a, a narrative that gets guys that maybe have no familiarity with BYU to, to, to buy into this matchup and maybe have some more emotional hype. And I think that they're going to be motivated to want to win for Bronco men and all, because I'm sure they've seen the, the press conferences and I'm sure they've seen the YouTubes maybe of, of Bronco saying he never wanted to play this game and the emotions that come with it. Bronco's pretty good at telling the, those stories to get guys into games, and I think that's going to be something here that gets Virginia's team uh, to get a little bit more emotionally excited for this matchup, because otherwise, if the Bronco element wasn't here, this would be a game where I think a, a team like Virginia would roll in and just be kind of flat and not uninspired to play this game. So who wins tomorrow, Mitch? I think BYU wins this game. I think that they're going to find a way with their offense. I think guys like Puka Nakua, um, Neil Powell, they're going to be a a huge mismatch for for Virginia. They haven't faced a receiving group like BYU. I think BYU finds a way. I think Jaron Hall, too, is going to take a step up as well, show off that dual threat ability. I think BYU wins 41-38. I think this is going to be a close game down to the wire. I think BYU makes the plays late to win this one. Mitch, a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mitch. And no, no problem, guys.